You know, the challenge of the life we live is how much suffering we experience and where that suffering comes from. The funny thing is all the major world religions, and I'm not suggesting to you to go and try another one. I'm, I'm, I've found my path in Christianity, and I hope that you too can find that same path within it, wherever you are. Um, but in many ways, each of the religions in the world address suffering in some way. How do we overcome that which appears to us to be very real? We even see our origin stories in the biblical text that we share in common with our Jewish sisters and brothers and, um, and with our Christian uh, folk in Genesis is all about how did suffering come into being in the world? How was it that we got to this place of suffering? Now, I have to say, I've listened to this video now three different times that I just played for you about suffering. And if we didn't have suffering, there would be no grace. If we didn't have suffering, there would be no goodness. All those things are about how our uh, little brain works. Our smaller self is all about holding things apart from each other. If there is good, then there must be bad. Well, must there? Must there be bad if there's good? Must there be war if there's peace? Or peace if there's war? Is there, how, how is it that everything must be an opposite, defined by its opposite principle, the lack of something on the other side? Why can't it be that from the very beginning, the intention of the universe was truly good, was truly love? Well, no matter what the original intention was, we all know what it is to suffer. We have bodies that uh, eventually uh, wear out. Uh, they get tired. We feel aches and pains. One of the things, I, I went for my annual physical this week and I was sitting with my uh, fourth doctor in the same practice because my doctors turn out to be so good Every single one of them in the practice turns out to be so good that they become concierge doctors, which are the kind of doctors that only have a limited number of patients, and if you want to be their patients, you pay them uh, a retainer of between two and 4000 extra dollars beyond your insurance every year. I've never had a concierge doctor because it's not in my uh, wherewithal to afford one, and I'm not sure it would be right if I did. But the long and short is, I've got this fourth new doctor, and I sat down with him, and we were talking to each other. And he said, so do you, do you have any complaints? And I said, well, you know, no, not really. I said, I'm at a point in my life that no matter what kind of mattress I lay on, I wake up every morning, my lower back hurts. That's just the way that it is. But I know that if I walk through, uh, get up in the morning, despite the stiffness of my lower back, and I do a few exercises. If I walk downstairs and I make us breakfast and a cup of coffee and I get to moving, that probably 25, 35 minutes later, that lower back pain is at least tolerable or disappears from my consciousness, whether it's because I no longer uh, pay attention to it because it's still there or not is another question we don't have time to answer. And he said, well, you know, that's just part of being alive. 
as you age, a lot of these things begin to happen to you. And he said, when I was in medical school, because my newest doctor is like one month out of uh, his residency, so he's brand new, brand spanking new. So his, uh, his uh, experience level is based on what he learned in medical school and a couple of years of residency. He said, you know, one of the chief complaints that every human being has is about their lower back. So just so you know, you're just like everybody else. Just what I wanted to hear, like everybody else, thanks. Uh, but the truth is, as we age, suffering just becomes a part of our lives, and we have to decide what we're going to do with it. There are mornings when I get out of bed and I focus on the pain in my lower back. I focus on it, and it becomes irritating. The days that are most focused in that way are the days I have to unload the dishwasher. Uh, because on the days I have to unload the dishwasher, this is, this is what it looks like. I open up the dishwasher, and then I bend over like this to get the dishes out, one by one. I bend over like this. Now, hey, I've been awake now. What time is it? Oh, it's 11.18. I've been awake now for, I don't know, six and a half hours, something like that. So that would be no problem to unload the dishwasher now. But if the first thing I do when I come downstairs in the morning is to bend over like this, it wouldn't look like that. I've learned different ways to bend over that make my back hurt less. I, I support my leg over here, I lean over, you know, and support myself on my leg, or I hold on to the counter while I get one dish at a time. I've found ways to deal with the suffering. Now, we've spent more time than I intended on the suffering piece of it. But suffering is often that thing that we want to avoid, and we think there's a limited amount of avoidance to go around. And so if someone's going to avoid suffering, I want it to be me. If that means you've got to have some of it, well, that's fine. But I want to avoid it at all cost. I do my best to not have to suffer. And if that becomes my primary driving force in my life, then I completely avoid ever doing anything sacrificial or helpful for the other. I never quite break that which has held me because I have lived into this myth that seems to pervade everything we live in right now, which is the myth of scarcity. There's not enough. There's not enough food, there's not enough housing, there's not enough clothing, definitely not enough money. No matter how much you have, it's not enough. Uh, there's not enough of anything. And if there's not enough, then if there's a limited quantity, I want to be at the front of the line to get the most. And whatever happens to you, tough. And if I decide after I've gotten the most that I want to give you a few piddly pieces of it, good. That makes me really a nice guy. Because it doesn't matter how many of you had to beat up to get to the front of the line. As long as when I look back at the beaten up people that I've beaten up to get to the front of the line, I give a few measly, paltry pieces. You know, I've got the whole collection of green beans. I give each of you one. Still leaving me millions. Uh, and then I think how generous I am. It's so easy in the myth of scarcity to think, if there's not enough to go around, i got to take whatever I can get from you. And it doesn't just happen one-on-one. -on -one. It happens whole nations. 
There's not enough oil to go around, so we go to war. There's not enough natural resources to go around, so we go to war. There's not enough food to be shared, so we go to war. And soon enough, according to the Pentagon, there's not going to be enough water. That's going to be the next major world war, uh, is not enough water to go around, not enough clean water for us to drink. And so there's not going to be enough water. Notice, enough. There's not going to be enough water for us to take three-hour-long showers uh, and those kinds of things. So we are going to go to war over things like that while some people don't even have clean drinking water. As long as I imagine that the only way I can have enough is to take some from you, we're not going to get along. And that's why it's really important that we find peacemakers. Do you know in the entire Bible, today's, perhaps I should read you today's passage. How blessed are the peacemakers. God will call them sons and daughters. It's so important it, to be a peacemaker that when God looks at those who make peace, God says, those are my children. Those are my daughters and sons. Interesting thing is the word for peacemakers, this is the only time in the entire Bible it's used. It's not used in, the, in what we call the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. It's not used in the New Testament anywhere else either. Just here. Jesus says it once. And you might think that makes it unimportant. Uh, if Jesus only has to say it once, then apparently it wasn't that important to him. Well, he says it as a part of this much larger body of work. The Sermon on the Mount... And in our case, the Beatitudes, those attitudes that are meant to shape our life together. We are meant to be peacemakers. But as Linda shared with us this morning when she did uh, her reading from John O'Donohue, somebody has to make the first move. And that's where peacemakers come in. Peacemakers are the ones that say, I know what I think is in my best interest, but it's not about me. I know how I can win. To tell you a, a tragic story about our lives together as a family, it's not really tragic, but my family has sworn off any number of uh, strategy games in, in the house. They will not play them. And I will tell you who the culprit and challenge is to play with. He's standing right here in front of you. I will tell you that my family will no longer play any form of the game Risk. If you've never played Risk, it's about controlling countries in the world. Uh, we have the version called Middle Earth Risk, where you're trying to control all of Middle Earth based on the Lord of the Rings. I am always start off in such a congenial mood when we are playing that game, negotiating with people. Well, if you let me take that territory, you can certainly take one of my territories, and it'll all work out until suddenly you find yourself backed in this corner and you can't get out because I'm about to destroy you. Uh, so Hannah, Josh, and Linda have made it clear we can play Candyland or uh, Shoots and Ladders, which are small children's games perhaps, 
we can play those with you, James, but we are not going to play risk with you because a whole side of you that we are scared of comes out, totally scared, because you win at all, at all costs. And see, when I win at all costs, it means that there are at the table sitting with me three losers. But you know who really lost? Is me. Because even though it's just a game, I have demonstrated my ruthlessness. You know what Ruth is? Pity. <laughs> Ruth is, the, is a, a Middle English word for pity. Ruthless is to be pitiless. I have no pity when it comes to the game of risk. And maybe that says to my children and my wife, maybe I have no, uh, that I'm ruthless in the rest of my life that I'm not as trustworthy as I appear to be. Get in a game with me and I will take you apart if I can. Now, I don't say that because I'm proud of it. It's because somehow we think that there is such a thing as a winner and a loser in this world. When all God sees is the desire for us all to win. And how does that work? How does that work? You can't win in a war if both sides win. Uh, maybe you can. Because maybe the thing you're fighting over is an illusion anyway. And doesn't matter as much as you think it does. And maybe it's all based on a myth that there's something scarce that you don't have enough of that you've got to take by force. Peacemakers are the people who are willing to say, you need a little bit more. And I'm going to let go of what I have so it's not so important to me. So that you can have more. See, in order to be a peacemaker, I have to adopt this second great commandment as one of the rules of my life. To love my neighbor as myself. I have to see my neighbor not just as somebody I love as much as myself, but someone who I recognize that when they suffer, I suffer. When they're sad, I'm sad. When they weep, I weep. And when they're dying, a part of me is dying. Because we are connected as community. And I'm not just talking about by being in the same church at St. James. I'm talking about being in the same universe with each other. We are all a part of each other so that when one of you suffers, I suffer too. Now, whether I recognize it or not is a whole nother thing. Peacemakers recognize that sense of connection we are meant to have, that we are born into. Our common humanity. I had this wonderful conversation yesterday with this gentleman. Um, Linda and I went to an event at her work, and there was this gentleman who came, and uh, everybody else, I think almost everybody else was women, except for he and I and a little boy that came. And so he had driven to this event up from uh, Henrico County, Richmond, Virginia. And so he was sitting there, and Linda and I had dressed up. We were the only two, really, that had dressed up for this Halloween event. Um, and so I sat down on the ground next to him and held his drink for him while he was having some refreshments and eating. And we talked to each other, shared me these beautiful stories. 
And at the end of the store, at the end of the time, when it was time uh, for him to get in the car and go, and I was remaining behind, I, I said, what, would you like me to walk you to the car? Because he was like 86, and he was a little unsteady on his feet. So I said, would you like me to walk with you to the car? And he said, I can, I can do it, but I would love your company. So I walked with him. And, you know, he turned to me at one point, and he said to me, because um, he had shared with me all sorts of stories. He said to me, you know, what we share in common is our common humanity. What is important is our common humanity. It's, it's not, we have made this color, coloring issue an issue between us. But in the end, what we share in common is our common humanity. And he said, I've really enjoyed talking to you because I felt like I was just talking to another person. And I said, well, I felt like I was talking to another person. And he got in his car and he drove away. But what is it that keeps us from seeing our common humanity? What is it? I mean, we can talk about it all day long. Sometimes we let things like the color of our skin, that seems so obvious. But then we let our nationality stand between us. Uh, or, you know, let's not even, we don't have to go that far. Our, uh, you know, whatever party line we vote, Republican or Democrat, somehow, if you're a Democrat, the Republicans are demons. And if you're a Republican, the Democrats are demons. And definitely the Libertarians probably demons. Um, and all of that becomes a way of othering, of saying, you don't matter. I'm not going to have peace with you. I'm not going to have peace with you because you're always going to be an enemy. Something about you differentiates us. And that's absolutely true. Every one of us is infinitely precious and unconditionally loved for the unique gift we already are. Every one of us is unique, which means we're all different. But what would it look like if it was understood as a rich tapestry? Have you ever seen some of those really beautiful Persian tapestries that have been woven together carefully, lots of different colors? Or maybe you've seen some beautiful cloth that's woven, lots of colors, lots of beauty, and it comes out in beautiful ways. There's nothing wrong with a piece of cloth that's all one color. But you wouldn't go to the museum to see a tapestry, probably, that was just red, or just yellow, or just orange, or purple. Because it wouldn't depict anything but a color. Now, I'm sure there's some artist somewhere that has made a yellow tapestry and thinks it's beautiful, and I'm sure that it is. But most of what we're used to seeing is that wonderful blend. God takes great joy in our diversity and invites us to make peace with each other by coming from a place of peace, of accommodation with my own heart. We don't have to see eye to eye on everything. That doesn't mean I can't love you. Linda and I discover probably every single day how much more we are alike. Linda's my wife, just in case you don't know. Linda and I find more ways that we're alike and love each other, as well as ways that we're different over a lifetime, and we have found ways to make space for that. But it's supposed to be that way not only 
in a marriage, but with my neighbor. The relationship may look slightly different, but in the end, there's room for both of us. How blessed are the peacemakers because God sees them as what they are, divine children. You and I can be divine children if instead of worrying about what separates us, we could love enough to make the first move across the line that we always imagined kept us apart. If we could just learn to see with the eyes of the other. I will tell you that to me in many ways, this might be the hardest beatitude, the most challenging. It requires me to let go a lot of stuff that I hold on to really tight. My sense of security, my sense of fear, all of that, I have to let it go in order to just say, you know, you're a human being. I'm a human being. Look at all that we have in common. Why do we have to fight about the little things that in the end are just beautiful differences that God just sees as part of the tapestry? Those are my thoughts about peacemakers and an invitation to you and me. The next time you know what will push the other person's button that you're talking to, let it go. Just because you know how to push their buttons, and believe me, after 30 years of marriage, Linda knows exactly what to do to push my button, and I know exactly what to do to push hers. And I still mischievously do it sometimes. I admit it. I admit it. 30 years later, I still every once in a while like to just push a little button. And most of the time these days, Linda pushes back a little bit and we move on. But when something pushes your button, maybe that practice we talked about at the beginning today, just close your hands around that thing that's pushing your button and let it go. Close your hands around it. I let this go. And suddenly it's a different flavor, what stands between us and what connects us. One of the things we do every week is pray together. Um, so a lot of good things going on in the world, and I, I see some of them. This event we were at yesterday was for Where Linda Works, which is helping, helping uh, nonviolent women uh, transition from prison into everyday life and society. It's a wonderful and challenging work. And Guest House does that. Friends of Guest House is the organization that Linda works with here in Alexandria. And, you know, Helping people find peace in this world's a big challenge. And yet that's the work of this organization. So I am thankful for the work that they do and the fruits of, of what happens. Um, it's interesting, Linda was sharing a statistic with me. I'm not gonna get it right. But it, as a whole, women released from prison 
Right. Uh, there's a 78% recidivism or 83% recidivism. That means they go back to prison. They get out and they oftentimes offend and go back in for whatever they do. Guest house has a 13% recidivism rate. 13% go back to prison. But most of the folks succeed. Most of them succeed. And all they needed was someone to make peace in their life, to help them make peace. And so uh, I want to pray for the peacemakers in our world. I want us to pray for each other that we'd learn to celebrate our differences and diversity instead of fight about it. For the divisions in our country that uh, have risen to a place where I'm concerned, but it's not just here. It's everywhere in the world right now. The extremes rising up. And I pray for a peaceful way via media through the middle where both sides could come to the table, compromise and move forward. Win-win, win-win. Pray for all those who are suffering. Since last Sunday when we prayed for um, Anne and her family because of the death of her dad, uh, her mother-in-law uh, died this week as well. So um, Nate and Ali Sue have lost a grandparent, two beloved grandparents, and uh, Anne as well, two parents, if you will, people who loved her and cared for her. So I pray for healing in the midst of grief and uh, strength in the midst of sorrow. We'll begin in a moment of silent prayer. I'll pray out loud for us and then we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together. Could we enter into a moment of silence? Oh, gracious and vulnerable God, you offer us new life, resurrection every single day. You invite us to follow in the path of Jesus, to love when it would be so much easier to hate. Of course, when I even think about the witness of Jesus and I talked about letting go, I... I found even as I entered into this time of prayer, leading this prayer, uh, that my own fist balled up. Uh, that I'm holding on to something. And as I recognize that thing I'm holding on to and the tension in my hands that caused me to close around, I let it go. Help us, O oh God, to let go of the things that we hold so tightly as if we could control them and instead recognize that peace sometimes looks chaotic and uncertain, but it always looks like trust, it always looks like love, and it always looks like everybody could win. In the midst of this world in which we live, God, it's never too late. 
It's never too late to love in the face of hate, to, uh, to reach out instead of pull back, to be open instead of to close our hearts. It's risky. It's so much more risky to be a peacemaker than it is to, to be a warmonger. It is so much more risky because it requires that I trust you and that I trust the other in my life. And perhaps after a lifetime, I and others have experienced enough broken trust that finding others trustworthy is hard for us. Help us in those moments and give us courage. Help us, O oh God, to find healing in the midst of it. Help us to be the people you imagine and know that we can be. And help us to see in every situation how it might be a win-win. We know, O oh God, that you protect us from nothing and yet sustain us in everything. You hold us up. Thank you for love and goodness and grace. Thank you for making us each unique. We pray, O oh God, that in our infinite preciousness and unconditional loved state, that we will gladly give that away wherever we go. But even when we fail, we know that you are forgiving and loving God. We ask you to forgive us. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus, the same Jesus who taught us when we pray to pray in this way. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.